everyone, and welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast. Today we have a very special episode where I sit down and talk with writer Brian Edward Hill about his work on the new Angel series for Boom Studios. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, hey, I, yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the back of an Uber, but you can hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm just excited to talk about Angel because I'm not sure if you've read, I, I know you've retweeted some of my reviews. I don't know if you've read them, but I am loving it. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, I scan them. Your interviews uh, are complimentary. So I scan the ones that say nice things and I, I really like seek out the bad ones because I'm always looking, looking for, you know, uh, like improvements. Yeah, you know, like I, you know, I read. I'm not ready for like Kate likes it, and I think I know where. I think I know why she likes it. I yeah. know we got more of that coming. Cool. Um, and then I like to make sure that uh, uh, I understand, like, if people aren't digging something, what it is, especially with this, because this is such a. It, it, this is a world and a character that a uh, group of characters that mean a lot to people. You know. Oh yeah. And you want to do you want to do a good job. Yeah, and I guess that like kind of brings up my first question, which is like, what drew you to writing Angel? Oh, well, okay, it's really funny. Um, most of the time, uh, especially in comics, people bring me, you know, uh, action thrillers, uh, you know, the kind of the more kind of stark, gritty Michael Mann type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Janine Schaefer from Boom reached out. Uh, hey, you know, and she reached out. She was so cute because she reached out like, hey, I don't know if you've ever like seen Angel, but we're doing a comic book. You know, almost like I'd be like, ah, vampires, don't bother me with the vampires. <laughs> but I love Angel. Like Angel, Angel is actually my favorite one uh, between the two. I was more of an Angel person than Buffy person. Always more of an Angel person. Yeah. Um, and I uh, really absorbed the series when it was on. So I just took a meeting with her, and we had uh, a couple salads and. I just started kind of talking about what I would do with it uh, and seeing if that was a good fit for what Boom wanted out of the series because Jordy had already been working on Buffy at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was, it's a balance. You know, you want to make sure that what I'm doing is working well with what Jordy's doing yeah. so that, you know, the, the, there's a synergy between the books, but uh, Janine responded to those ideas and uh, and I've wanted to do something with Boom for a while and just haven't found the right thing. So... Yeah, it just kind of came together like that. I was really glad and grateful they brought it to me because no one brings me horror and I love horror and I love, you know, comedy and, and dramedy and all that <laughs> stuff. And I love romance. And, you know, I get to do all of those things in, in this series. Uh, and I haven't been able to do those things previously. So I'm, I'm elated. That was one of the things like I, I that I feel like pops off the page. Like when I picked it up, I, I wasn't sure. I mean, I was a little hesitant as a fan, right? Like, oh, man, sure. like, they're rebooting things. And I, I that like your opening pages where we go back into to when he was Angelus, I was like, damn, this is really good horror. This is like pretty much a gothic romance a little bit that this is getting into. Um, how do you kind of marry um, showcasing the past as Angelus as well as showcasing Angel now? Because I know that, that that's something you've been doing with each book. Um, right. is, it, is it hard to do that or... Well, you know, it's always tricky when you're working in two different time periods, you know, and um, the key there is making sure that each of those narratives enhances the other, right? Um, uh, So, with the advantage that we have in the book is audiences are already familiar with the fact that Angel was a person named Angelus and, you know, and all this other stuff. So, 
that's not a secret we have to keep, yeah. you know, like it was in, in Buffy uh, when he first appeared and all that. And part of what I wanted to do was use the medium of comics in a way that was unique. You know, in television, because I work in television, you have budget considerations, you have mm-hmm. scope considerations. It, it can, unless you're HBO making, <laughs> you know, George Martin novels, it can really only get so big. It can't get too out of hand. But in a comic, you have limitless capacity to expand the world. And so I wanted to bring the sense of the epic to Angel. You know, when you have a character that's been, been alive and then dead and alive, for so long, there's so much story there. You know, it, it, it's similar to uh, uh, the, the Highlander films. I don't know if you're familiar yes. with those stories, yeah. all right? But like, it's it's you know, like there's a Connor McCloud, Duncan McCloud aspect to this character um, that I wanted to explore because we had the opportunity to do that on the page. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of the vampire and the gothic romance bits of it, there uh, Mike McNola did a adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula mm-hmm. back when I was in high school. And I loved it. It was like one of my favorite comics, you know, and I've always had that thing in the back of my mind. Um, and looking for uh, a project where I could use uh, some of those influences. And and this seemed like, like a good one, you know, to kind of bring in the Baroque cla- classic, almost Bram Stoker, mm-hmm. you know, aspects of, of, vampirism and vampire lore to this while we have a very contemporary story set in like Michael Mann's Los Angeles. So, (laughs) you know, there's there's all these different things that are kind of, you know, moving around at the same time. Um, And it can be a little tricky, but it's the kind of tricky I enjoy. One of the things that I've been wondering, because I'm obviously reading Angel and I've been reviewing Buffy as well, and and with these kind of like revisits, reboots um, of these characters, a lot of it was, you know, bringing them into where we are now, like into our Mm. time. Um, How did you go about kind of like what pieces of, sorry, I had a hard time forming this question. I know what I want to ask, but I'm like trying to. That's all good. Like, like how, how, how did I, you know, how did I approach it to make it contemporary while, like, yeah. still... Right. Yeah, because well, it's one of those things I don't think people think about. I think, like, oh, well, this show wasn't on that long ago. I was like, no. Like, the 2000s is a very specific period. you got to do a lot of movement to get oh, that was to a, that, That's, like, a lifetime ago, you yep. know? Like, <laughs> if, you know, like, if you know, a lot of people who are, like, one years old then have their own children now, right? Oh, so, gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, what helps me out is that I'm remarkably immature, uh, and and that's always helpful uh, when you want to write a story that you know can interface with what's going on with like you know youth culture and 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 it's kind of the bleeding edge of what's happening out here. I mean, I've always looked at the Whedon verse as being uniquely authentic to what it's like, you know, to grow up, yeah, to figure yourself out, like those kind of things. You know, it's like you had Wes Craven in the '80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Elm Street pictures, and then you had um, uh, Kevin Williamson, you know, he was doing his thing, and Whedon was kind of along with that, right? Um, I work with a lot of, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, kids in, in, like, crisis situations. I do peer-to-peer counseling a lot, and I think a lot about what they're going through. And there's a unique struggle now, you know, uh, identity, uh, yeah. figuring out who you are and and... and what you are and what you can be and dealing with uh, social comparison, endless social comparison. And, you know, like there's, a, there's so much pressure on people now and sometimes the opportunity can be difficult to find. 
So I wanted to touch base, you know, with that kind of stuff. And in that, in that first arc, you know, you see me bringing in aspects of social media and, and, and kind of what that can be. And I don't want the book to be preachy. I don't want to, you know, tell people how to live. I'm, you know, I'm never one of those people that wants to tell people how to live, but you know, I wanted to kind of surface that stuff and, and, uh, and deal with it and use the, the power of allegory to explore those issues. So, you know, I, I, it, truth is, is always kind of constant and, you know, you, sometimes the aesthetics change, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, the, the slang will change. The lingo can be a little bit different, but the, the truth is the same. You know, it's, it's, I think why people were to, you know, fire up rebel without a cause right yeah. now, they would still understand what Jim Stark was going through. You know, you still understand what James Dean's talking about. You're tearing me apart. Right. Yeah. So, um, and I think, I think those things just remain universal. It's just about opening up your mind and your heart to what's really going on in the world around you. And I'm really happy you brought up kind of like this use of social media because um, the vanity demon that you introduce in this first arc and having him kind of travel through social media, yeah, yeah. that's something that has been like really intriguing, really interesting to me. And like what kind of, I guess, honestly, I um, you know, looking at like telling this type of truth, like why was that your first demon to go to? Because big bads, I mean, it, it's hard to nail a big bad. Um, it, it is. It, it is tricky. You know, well, Kate, like, it, it's, it's usually what I'm thinking about, you know, at the time. And, um, you know, I'm on Twitter, uh, uh, you know, kind of consistently when I have the time to be there. And, you know, I keep my DMs open. So a lot of people, they'll just, you know, ask me questions about writing. But sometimes people ask me personal questions. You know, they I don't know why, but maybe they've read something in my work that makes them think that I might have some insight about, about something. And, um I, you know, I'm always humble about it, but I try to try, try to provide experience when I can. And, and one of the things I, I, you know, got from people was, you know, thinking about just this pressure to be a certain way for people. Like, you know, yeah. the, the pressure to live a performative life, right? Yeah. Like we live to, to show how we're living to other people. And that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot to put on your shoulders, you know? Yeah. And then when you combine that with anonymity and what anonymity can do to people, you know, the kind of cruelty and, and a lack of conscience that you see exhibited by people because they can hide behind an avatar. And then I started thinking, well, you never know who or what is behind that avatar. Right. Yeah. And if, uh, you know, social media, the internet, it's kind of like a hive mind. Um, then other things could, could find their way into the subconscious of that of that hive mind, you know. And and you know, and the evil that's in the world of Angel is is kind of an insidious evil. Yeah. It's an evil that seeks to weave itself into our world and and remain hidden. You know what I what I love about Whedon's work is, you know, his big bads they they want to take over everything, but they want to kind of remain in the shadows until it's too late for anyone to stop it. Right. Yeah. And and so I'm always looking at what are the different little insidious ways that um, that evil could use our vanity, our ego, our lack of self-esteem against us. Yeah, that's that's amazing to hear, and and it's something that I've actually thought about reading through Angel. Uh, one of the things that I've that kind of leads into my next question is I'm always thinking about okay, what pieces of the show will fit here, and obviously the big bad that I, I have like this feels like a world where Wolfram and Hart is totally there. Like from the, from probably like 
as soon as like this arc started fleshing out, I was like, yeah, this feels like that world with that insidious evil kind of like hiding yeah. under the surface. And I, you know, obviously we're, we're not that far down the line, but like it, it's something that I have in my mind, like, wow. The, and, and, and Wolfram Hart isn't even in the books, you know, yet or at all really. And it's still something like, damn, you nailed that world aspect. Do you have that in mind as, as you're kind of writing these stories of, you know, the larger picture of Angel or anything that is kind of, you know, sitting from, from the existing property um, as you kind of write your story? Well, yeah, I mean, I have, I always have like a general kind of roadmap. Um, you know, it's loose so I can make shifts and adjustments as I see what people are responding to and kind of get a feel for what the book is. You never know what a book is until it comes out. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you write a script and then Gleb does phenomenal work on the art and, and yeah. that's been really cool. But, you know, I think now Gleb and I are in, in kind of a creative rhythm. And so we sort of know like, okay, we kind of get what this book is supposed to feel like, like what the song of the book is. Yeah. Um, but those aspects uh, of the show, like Wolf of Heart and, and kind of the L.A., modern noir aspects of L.A. and all that, you know, I live in L.A. Uh, and I, I work in Hollywood. And, um, I mean, it would not shock me if CAA was run by <laughs> demons, right? Like, that, I would not blink. It would, it would actually make things make more sense. I'd be like, oh, okay, that explains that, you know, the cool. Um so, yeah, so those things are kind of on my mind. And what I really wanted to do, frankly, was uh, create a Los Angeles in the book that was vibrant and sexy and dangerous, yeah. uh, along with kind of the classic presentation of these characters. You know, like I'm always, you know, part of me is always trying to make comics sexy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like kind of the thing. And, and, I, and, I, and I say that because, like, I look at, you know, music and I look at uh, fashion and, um, I like to bring that energy kind yeah. of into comics, you know, like, and when I was growing up, comics were like punk rock, hip hop, it was the edge, you know, it was like the razor blade of pop culture. Um, and I, and I wanted to, you know, kind of do that there, uh, and, and, and give people that sense of LA, uh, kind of painted through that occult prism. Um, so yeah, Wolfram and Hart, I can, I can tell you they definitely exist yes. in this, in this angel universe. Um, you know, and they they're gonna they're gonna show up. You know, when they show up, but but yeah, like that. I I wanted to I wanted to explore through these stories how corruption works. Yeah. At at the ground level and also at the high level. You know, because most of us are stuck in the middle, right? Yeah. And you know, I think stories about evil, um, stories about you know this kind of corruption and conspiracy and that stuff, they're really stories that help us understand our place in the world and where we can find agency. Right. Yeah. And so um, those are the things I like to explore uh, uh, in, in the work. So one of the things I'm wondering, too, is how, you know, as you work, you know, in rhythm with Gleb and, and, and building out like the visual components to it, it, it would be especially because when people hear about Whedon, if they haven't had any, you know, real exposure to Angel and stuff, they may think that it's kind of lighter and, and, it, and Angel's a campy world, right? You know, we, a lot of Whedon stuff is, but there's a darkness to it and it, it, there's a darkness in the art that accompanies your writing that... It, 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 it pulls some of these best pieces of horror where it's um, it's really visceral and it's really like you can see the contortion of somebody who is possessed and you can, right, you can right. see the darkness that is there accompanying, you know, how, 
accompanying your script work. And, and I'm wondering, how did you two decide on actually going like full horror? Well, you know, it was really when, when the first round of pencils came in from Gleb and I saw how strong they were. Um, I was semi-familiar with this work going into the project, but I always tell editors, you know, your job includes knowing all the artists and knowing who can potentially work well with who. So I, I usually uh, let them sort of guide that part of that process. Um, uh, and I didn't, I wasn't like fluent in Gleb's work, but I'd seen some pieces I'd liked. And then when I saw those first pencils, I saw how visceral they were and, and, and just how it, it's almost like every individual panel I could take and put on a graphic tee and sell it on Fairfax. Yep, I would buy you know? every single one of them. <laughs> right, like it's just—it's just like dope art. Like you know, I, I you know I would joke with them and be like, "Man, every book that you draw, you have like four or five panels. I want to put on a tattoo sleeve on my left arm. You yep. know what I mean? Like it's just like cool looking stuff." So when and I respond really, really um, quickly to uh, visual storytelling. You know, I mean, uh, I'm I'm also a filmmaker, and I I prefer my comics to really be pushed forward visually. You know, um, I, uh, it's always my preference to be somewhat invisible within the work, you know, to, to not have a person read a book of mine thinking about my writing as much as they thinking about the experience of the story, right? Yeah. Whether it's, you know, you look at my work on Batman and the outsiders, it's the same sort of thing. Like I'm pushing, I'm pushing hard forward with Dexter, you know, yeah. on that and really profile, like, you know, kind of spotlighting, uh, and making the book a high-profile example of what what they can do, and that's what I always kind of seek to do with the artists I work with is, um, you know, because an, art, an artist in a comic is a bit like a director, uh, an, an actor, a cinematographer, you know, like they kind of do all of those tasks in a way. And I like to vehicle uh, the collaborators I work with, you know. And if there's one thing I think I want people to think about when they think about me in comics, it's you know how how I try to showcase everyone in the process and, and don't, don't make it about me. A lot of writers want to make it all about them. You know? <laughs> and I'm going to slow this whole thing down with a 14 panel grid, you know, with 30 words in every panel, because it's really important <laughs> that I do this right now. And I'm not that dude. Uh, you know, I, um, I have as many photography books, uh, in, in my home office as I do novels and books about writing. Um, and it's always, uh, important to me that the book has a rich experience on a flip through, you know, yeah. and, and Gleb is so good, uh, at, uh, what he does that I think I'm going to be bothering him the rest of his career <laughs> to, to do books. Unfortunately, he's not going to be able to shake me anytime soon. <laughs> I mean, I can solidly say as a giant horror fan, um, I think it's issue two where she, uh, the girl who's become possessed, uh, crashes the mirror and you just see her skin ripping. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, dang, that's well, you know, good and that is solid. And I did not think I was going to get this right now, but I am all for it. Well, I've always looked at Angel as being a little... You know, it's a little more stark than Buck. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. Like it's, it's it's less. I've always thought it's like maybe this may not be the best thing. It's a little less hopeful. Like you have to work for the hope that you get in that series. Yeah. It, you know, it, it it punches a little harder when it punches, and um, and I wanted uh, that to be reflected in in the work. But to be honest, I don't give Gleb 
those notes. Like he just like finds the passion, you know what I mean? Like he just, he just gets in the booth and raps really hard on the beat. <laughs> right? so, so, you know, that's not, I mean, that's not something I tell him to do. Like I just produce the track. Right. And then he comes in and he just lays it down, you know? So, um, uh, that's, you know, that's all his talent, uh, and his, his vision. And, but what I love about it is it's also counterbalanced with, you know, some of the sensitivity and the tenderness in his art too, yeah. you know, like, um, the way he can uh, draw human expressions and, and human interaction and yeah. compassion and there's, those things. Uh, because there's like this, uh, the first time we see Angel interact with Fred, there's just yeah. this pure empathy that comes out of him, which is which is something to say because in, in any iteration of Angel, like that man is just tall, dark, mysterious, and you never know what he's thinking. But yet, every panel I've seen in, in this series so far, I get that that traditional Angel, you know, look, but I also mm-hmm. get that emotion behind it, and I'm like, damn. Well, Angel, you know, Angel wants to be good. He just yeah. doesn't know how. but but he's invested into it and i I think you know part of the 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 goal of some of those flashbacks is to without telling you why he's motivated show you why he's so motivated to kind of repair uh what he what he messed up before uh and and fred you know you're going to discover that fred is a character um that has been kind of dragged into very powerful forces and she is caught between those forces in a lot of ways. Um, and Angel, I think, immediately, without even understanding the details of what she's going through, he can see that. He just knows what that is, right? And wants to make sure that... Um, um, wants to make sure that, uh, you know, he can protect her from the things that are uh, after her that, you know, she doesn't even understand, right? Yeah. Um, so... That that kind of uh, uh, you know that sort of the the different shades of his character, the different ways he can react, the savagery and the compassion. It's really glad that makes that work because there's nothing I can do with dialogue that can be equally effective. You know, I mean, if I just say like I'm really compassionate right now, that doesn't make a difference. <laughs> you know, like it's a bad line, right? So you depend on I think your artists to be able to do that stuff the same way you would depend on an actor to be able to make a line go away. And there's a lot of, most of the work I do in these scripts and I, you know, I see his art. I just cut dialogue Yeah. because I realized like, Oh, you know, his art did the job and these lines were getting in the way. So let me go ahead and cut this and give him more space to be seen. Wow. Uh, I'm falling more in love with... I was already in love with this book. I'm falling more in love with this book now. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, so, now, like, you know, mentioning Fred, um, you know, obviously there are some changes in the, the general trajectory, which they're going to be. Um, Fred sure. shows up real early now, you know? And what was the choice of, of, of the angel characters to bring in? Why Fred first? I mean, beyond the fact that I had, like, a huge crush on Amy Acker for a while. <laughs> beyond that? I'm just playing Amy. You read this. I mean, I think everybody had a crush on Amy. Or at the very least, blue Amy. Yeah, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, I mean, in a professional sense only. Um, but no, but in all seriousness, I just thought it would be interesting to 
to kind of bring those figures in a little earlier, um, you know, and uh, kind of get to the synergy of the group sooner, you know, and, and in a lot of ways, this, these first arcs of Angel are almost like in a Tolkien sense about the, the gathering of the warriors, right? Where we are, we're putting together the, the group, you know, for like the upcoming battles to come. And you know, in comics, there's so many books out there, Kate. There's, there's so many stories, and comics are not as cheap as they were when I was growing up. Yeah. So um, I think you got to kind of get to the point. Stuart, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you, can't, you can't, like, slow burn it, you know? Like, there's a lot of books out there, and people only have a, a certain amount of money they can spend on these things. So um, I wanted to kind of get to the gusto as soon as I could. And that was one of the things I really appreciated about the end of the last issue. You get kind of this this prediction from, I believe it's Lilith, right? Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. You, you get, I got to see that Gun's coming, and I love Gun. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, yeah, Charles is coming, man, you know. Um, uh, yeah, like that, those are the, uh, you know, I, I loved all of those characters in the show, and I love to see them interact. And, you know, I did want to bring them into the story as soon as possible, but, um, you know, we're going to do some different things with them. Uh, so they might come in quickly, but it might take a while for them to settle into the roles that we, we know and love, Yeah, you know? Um, but like kind of getting them on the chessboard, I thought would be, um, uh, a better thing for the book because what you don't want from Angel is the book to not feel alive if Buffy isn't in it. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, it's like in order to make that, that story work between Angel and Buffy, you, you want each of those characters to be their own thing before they come together. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I just thought it would be really interesting to explore what those characters around angel that have no idea who Buffy is, how would they feel about that relationship? That <laughs> right? is amazing. Like, <laughs> you know, that's kind of, I wanted to also explore that because in a way, like, you know, take a page from Tom King. It's kind of like other people looking at Bruce and being like, what's up with this Catwoman thing, bro? <laughs> I'm not sure that's good for you, man. <laughs> you know? Oh, my gosh. I'm so much more excited for Hellmouth now. Yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of... I think I think I want to, want to see that. I want to explore that. Because the one thing that I wish the show had done more, you know, you never really got to see... Uh, a lot of the angel characters who weren't from Buffy yeah. interact with Buffy characters a lot. Oh yeah, not you know? at all. Like just like the one-off, like two-part episodes. Right. And you, and you get Faith, and you know, and she would kind of be a bridge between worlds, yeah. and obviously Cordelia and that kind of thing. But yeah, just kind of you know, like like a a potential scene with like Gun and Buffy being like, "Yo, you hurt my bro." Yeah. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, don't, I don't like you. <laughs> I don't like you because of what you did. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. <laughs> I also really want to see uh, it. Um, the it was kind of one of the things that I've always wanted. I just want to see Lorne and Anya have a conversation. Oh yeah, 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 Lorne. I mean, well, I'm, I'm, I, I'm super big into music in general, right? Yeah. And and. If I could just snap my fingers and do anything in the world, I'm pretty sure I would own a dance club, uh, and 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 just have like the coolest club in LA that like 
normal people could go to, no celebrities allowed. Just like yeah. a different kind of exclusivity, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> so, sorry, Kim and Kanye, y'all can't sit with us. Like, that kind of thing. And so, you know, Lauren is a character I always loved. I'm a big fan of karaoke. If, if anyone socializes with me, they know that I'm probably the first person to say, hey, we should do karaoke. <laughs> um, and I do think karaoke can show, show you someone's soul. <laughs> I do think... I think there's there's a great truth to that, you know what I mean. So so uh, uh, Lauren has a special place in my heart, but and that, and that gets into the the places the book is going to go. We're definitely going to explore this idea of a second world inside of Los Angeles, you know, like a world that is right. It's almost like it's at the edge of your peripheral vision, yeah. and sometimes you can get a scent of it, like a breeze passes by and it smells like sandalwood and jasmine, and you don't quite know what that was, right? Yeah. So. So that is, you know, and then Lauren kind of brings us into that. But again, because it's a comic book, we can we can do more than they were able to do in the show. Yeah. Like we can really kind of expand the levels of Los Angeles uh, and get into that. Um, I'm looking forward to, to diving into that. Mentioning Jasmine, the one question I've been wanting to know is Lilith's character design uh, influenced by Jasmine at all? A little, like I, I gave Gleb, when I, when I describe characters to, to uh, artists, I tend not to give them specifics. Yeah. I, I tend to describe like what it would feel like to be in a room with them, what they might smell like. Um, here are the kinds of clothes they would wear. Here, here's the kind of music they would listen to. Because I feel like that gives them enough, uh, uh, you know, of, a, of an emotional sense of what a character is yeah. without encumbering them with, well, I need her to look just like this and she has to be this tall <laughs> and I need to have that because that's not my floor. You know, like, that's not what I do. Like, I'm, I'm the writer. I'm not the person that's visualizing the story. I'm not the visual storyteller. So um, a lot of that just came from Gleb, you know, and, and I did a lot of research uh, about Lilith as a, myth, myth, a mythical figure, yeah. you know, as... as uh, all the different sort of viewpoints on her. And what I really responded to about her mythology was how she was kind of maligned mm -hmm. and, and demonized by misogyny. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of misogyny involved in the, in the demonization of, of feminine power. Right. I mean, you have a, you know, you have a, have a story of a character that simply wanted to be equal to Adam in the garden yeah. and was banished for it and now called like the mother of demons and blamed for, sudden infant death syndrome yes. and uh and all that stuff you know is is unfortunately a byproduct of men having too much power for too long and being afraid of women and yeah. particularly being afraid of their own desire for women right yeah i mean too many times women get punished because of what men feel about yeah. women right and she seemed like the perfect character the perfect like mythological figure to introduce to uh, Angel's world. Because, you know, he's a character that's looking to redefine who he is yeah. and what he is, you know? Um, and I've always looked at, you know, Lilith as a mythical figure. She's kind of the, 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 the guiding flame for people escaping the prejudice of others, you know? And I felt like, oh yeah, it's cool. And who doesn't want like a badass primordial demoness in their story? I mean, I know I do. So uh, uh, I was super into bringing her into the world. Yeah, gosh, that's 
That's amazing to hear. I, I, she was probably when the moment I saw her and the moment she started talking, I was like, this, this is a figure that felt so large and full. Um, so I want to thank you personally for bringing Lilith into my life. Um, well, you know, well, frankly, Kate, like it was no the one thing I was specific about with Lev, I was like, she's not white. Yeah, yeah. You mean somebody from ancient times was not white? Yeah. <laughs> she can't be white because she's not white. We're talking about Mesopotamia. We're talking about Samaria. People were not white. So, you know, when I look at Supernatural and it's like some blonde-haired woman, I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're talking cradle of civilization here, you know? And that was, that was important to me because... Um, you know, I do think a lot about uh, how women of color are, you know, portrayed in yeah. popular culture and fiction and how beauty is is portrayed. And, um, you know, like so many times, like women of color are forced to, to try to live up to some like Anglo-Saxon beauty standard. And that's ludicrous. Yeah. So I, uh, I definitely had that in mind, uh, you know, when I was talking to Gleb about about her as a character, because I, I fully want to see some. I want to see some women of color on some Lilith cosplay when I go to the conventions. You know what I mean? Oh, That's what I'm trying yes. to see. That's what I'm trying to see. <laughs> oh, yeah. I The moment I saw it, she has like a power and a presence to her. And I, I don't remember if I noted it in my review, but I, I was just like, and she's a brown woman, and I love this. And yeah, it, and, it and just, speaks it speaks to it, right? And yeah. is, is and is very explicit about such things. Exactly. Um, and I think for me, like I've just I, one, I've been in love with with Gina Torres. One, thanks to the universe, but uh, the the Whedon verse, but that I was just like, this is this is what I've needed. And it's what I needed in in the Whedon verse overall, most of the time, especially coming, like I was a fan of Buffy first and then I was a fan of Angel. There are no women of color in Buffy other than I Kendra know, who gets sacrificed. <laughs> but Ken and Kendra, she goes the way that, you know, the, the way that the characters of color are usually going. Yep. Her, right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I, I am a black guy, so I do, um, you know, I do think about that stuff. And, and I, you know, I grew up when I knew that the character that looked like me was going to get killed yeah. first. Right. Um, and so I'm cognizant of that stuff. You know, I try never to weigh my work down uh, yeah. with, with, you know, with political and sociological thought, but it's always in sort of the back of my mind. Right. And, and uh, we are influenced by, by what we see. We we're influenced by what we're told we can be, yeah. you know? Uh, and I, I know that from just talking to readers out there, and, uh, you know, having, you know, um, uh, young men and young women of color reach out to me because they see me as an example of what they can do. Uh, and you, you learn the responsibility of that. You want to incorporate that into the work for sure. So um, anywhere I can kind of do that kind of thing, I'm always proud to do it. And I thank you for it. I mean, she's the most powerful person in the series right now. So. <laughs> oh, completely. <laughs> completely. She, she is stooping to the level of trying to save mankind. Exactly. <laughs> Because right. there was, I think it was like the last issue and she kind of like gives the future. She just seems kind of like almost fed up. Like, oh my God, Angel, really? Am I going to have to do this? Do I have to map it out for you to make right. you realize? Well, the character like so Angel, good. it's critical you have have people in his life that just don't 
don't want to take his bullshit. It's like, yeah. it's like, dude, like, I don't have time for your Weathering Heights nonsense right now. Listen, you know, like, this is what we have to do. Because it, it, it balances out the character. You know, everyone doesn't have time for Angel to be emo. Exactly. He can only <laughs> mope for so much. He can so only mope for so long. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of what I do with, with Batman and the Outsiders, too. It's like, you know, you got to have those characters that are like, yo, Bruce Wayne is on one. All the time. <laughs> Why is Bruce like Drake right now? <laughs> it's almost like every Angel hip hop song would start off with a phone call, right? Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> yes. It's like too many phone call songs, Angel. We need some club bangers in here. Yeah, and that's something that I really liked about kind of what I've liked what you've done with the series is. Obviously, I've I loved Angel One because I, I am in love with David Boreanaz, and I have been for much of my life. Sure. But um, he he seems in this series he he is so much more than what a lot of his first introduction let him be. And well, yeah. Well, you know, I have the benefit of being able to watch all of it, right? Yeah. Like you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I you know I've saw I've seen all of Buffy, I've seen all of Angel, and I've read uh, the Dark Horse stuff that was out there previously, you know, and, uh, and I've met Boreanaz a couple times just out and about. Um, and you know, it, one, I wanted to kind of vehicle how I felt when I just met the dude and had a conversation with him, yeah. you know, like just what it was like to be around that fella when he was out of character. And then also put, you know, I, I think as the show developed, they found some things and, oh, yes. and then they incorporated those in there. But, because we know those things are there, we can bring all that stuff in there from the beginning. Um, you know, so his, like, sardonic wit, you know, and and his little bit of swag. I mean, Angel has that kind of quiet swag. Oh, yes, where, he does. He definitely does. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not really going to draw attention to it, but that cup you're holding is worth a lot of money. So, you know, <laughs> be careful. The last person to touch it was Cleopatra. Just saying. <laughs> Well, I i mean, I could go on and on and on about Angel, um, but, uh, you know, I, I want to respect your time and everything. But the last question I have is, what have you learned about adapting this series? Oh, that's a very good question, Kate. Well, you know, I, I, I work in a lot of forms. I'm a screenwriter. I'm a, a television writer. Um, you know, I've done a lot of comics, original and kind of part of universes. Um, and they all teach you something different, but, but to me, it was really the, the undying love that people have for this world and the character, right? Like yeah. that's, and for, for me, every project is a lesson in humility. And, uh, and I was very clear to Janine and, and, uh, boom, that I, I, we, we're going to have to change some things because it's just 2019 now and things are different, but I always want to be humble to the source material you know i i get frustrated yeah. when uh a creator who i might admire comes on board to something and just starts turning every apple cart upside down because yeah. they have a notion you know you know i'm not a guy that wants to see angry superman try to kill batman for 40 minutes <laughs> you know that's not really why i want superman in a movie you know that's yeah. not why i want batman in a movie you know you know no shots fired but just um you know, I, I, I respect readers a lot, 
I know that these books are not cheap. They're, it's it's not like a disposable income. Comics used to be like, I'm going to get a Slurpee and a Snickers bar and like three comics. Yeah. Now it's like, all right, I get a budget because these things are like five bucks a shot, right? Yeah. That's a that's a sandwich. And if you ask Popeye's, it's a pretty good sandwich. <laughs> so, so I'll, you know, the question I was asking myself is, is my work better than a sandwich? Right. And, yeah. and it's a, it's a joke, but, I, but it's, it's serious in a way. So, um, you know, what I, what I always learn is how to respect the source material, how to respect the fan base and how to bring people along with you so that they don't feel like, you know, you're coming in and, forcing them to see it the way you, you see it, you're just like kind of bringing them kind of slowly into your vision and hopefully they appreciate it. And people have been so warm, you know? I mean, a lot of people that, that buy this book, this is the only comic book they buy, yeah. right? Like, they're not comic book people. They're angel people. Yeah. And so now my work gets to flex in front of people that had no idea who I was, you know, and, and has introduced me to a whole new thing. Um, so yeah, you know, I think I think you know you always learn those things about yourself, and and you learn, you know, where you are inside the material, and also like how all of that can add up to the best experience for the for the end user, which is what this game is all about. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing talking with you. Like I said, like this is making me love the book more than I already did, which I didn't oh, well, know was you, possible. I'm glad um, you reached out. I think you're awesome. You know, no, I, I love you. talking to you. Love talking to you on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh yeah, she's dope. Let's totally do this." <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, like I was. It wasn't that I came in with a bias. I just came like, "Man, I don't. How are you going to redo Angel? How's this going to be?" And then, I oh, believe me, I had a night like, of that myself. I, there was a night when I was like, "How am I going to redo Angel? What's it even going to be?" <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Nothing. That a little Johnny Walker Black, you know, and, and some Spotify can't fix. <laughs> Well, you have done an amazing job. You, you and Gleb have been have been probably one of my highlights of the month when I pick up this book. Oh, um, right on. Well, I'll make sure I pass that on to him because um, I'm sure he'd appreciate yeah. it. And if if, if, if if he decides to make any T-shirts with that art, I will. Yo, I'm going to have a conversation with dude. We're going to get that going. Because I got to <laughs> – my wife and I are, are doing a streetwear thing anyway. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm going to see if I can go ahead and get, get a couple, couple pieces of art cleared to put on some on some swag because yes. you know we can you know you know okay sometimes we just have to do it to them yeah you know <laughs> you know awesome well why don't you tell everybody listening where they can find you and keep up with your work oh absolutely well the easiest place to to get to me is twitter uh so i'm at brian edward hill and that's brian with a y why because we like you <laughs> Uh, and you can, you know, add me to Twitter, follow me there. Uh, I keep my DMs open, shoot writing questions over at me. Um, that's, uh, probably the best way to find me on social media. I'm on Instagram too, Brian E. Hill, but mostly, mostly that's like my photography. But if you want to see like my fashion photography side, then you can go ahead and do that. And, uh, you know, Angel, we got one of those coming for you every month. And I got, a uh, uh, working on a little character called Batman <laughs> and, um, you might've heard of him and he's out there with the outsiders every month. And I, you know, I just got, I got stuff happening. I'm out there and I will be at New York comic-con this year. So, um, I'll let people know what my schedule is for that and what I'm signing and come, come see me on the East coast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brian. This has been amazing. Right on. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. You have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye. All right. Cheers. Bye.